a lot of people, including myself, have left WordPress and have helped develop ideas like the Jamstack, like headless CMSs, like static site generators, not because of anything that WordPress did, just because the world evolves and technology moves forward. A lot of things have happened in the last 10 or 20 years that helped birth the Jamstack, or I would say, you know, the Jamstack wasn't birthed, it was yanked out of the minds of a lot of smart people who basically continued pushing the envelope and evolving the approach of how we build websites. Hey, this is Brian, and you're listening to Jamstack Radio, a bi-weekly series where we discuss the Jamstack, a new way of building websites and apps that are fast, secure, and simple to work with. Jamstack Radio is brought to you by Heavybit, a program dedicated to helping startups take their developer products to market. For more information, visit heavybit.com. If you're interested in being a guest on the show, or if you'd like to suggest a topic, find us on Twitter at Jamstack Radio. Welcome to another installment of Jamstack Radio. On the line, we've got Ohad Eder Pressman. Do you want to say hello and tell us why you're here? Hey, Brian. Thanks for having me here. Why am I here? I guess I'm excited about the Jamstack and devoting or have been devoting um, a bunch of my time to productizing, evangelizing, and promoting it. Yeah, and like you're also founder, CEO of this company called Stackbit, which uh, folks have probably who've been paying attention to this podcast are probably familiar with. It comes up uh, organically in conversation. But do you want to talk about that and sort of how do that fits in the, the Jamstack? Yeah, so um, indeed a co-founder um, and CEO of Stackbit. We are a company building products and tools for the Jamstack. And we're probably best known for our site builder, which seems to be the most popular Jamstack site builder out there with a lot of traction and a lot of people showing up every day building new websites, uh, whether it's for um, you know production needs or educational needs. We support a variety of uh, technologies within the world of the Jamstack, whether it's uh, you know different choices for static site generators or headless CMSs. And um, really excited about that and we feel that that is um, it's something that really helps promote the Jamstack from a, uh, a paradigm that is mostly accessible to developers who are comfortable with the command line to a, a broader audience you know not consumers because consumers are still gonna you know most likely prefer tools like Wix or Squarespace but tinkerers people with technical tendencies who are curious about, you know, the new things coming around, people who are currently using WordPress and want something faster and more secure and and so forth. Definitely love to talk about our studio and some of the other things that we're doing, but I guess we'll get to that in a moment. So. Yeah, can, can we unpack a bit of the site builder too and what, what you mean by site builder, like per se? Because you, you mentioned Squarespace and, and Wix and I get that sort of the use case, the model, maybe folks who might have a YouTube page and they might be technical enough to do editing and video and might be a prosumer or whatnot, and they want to throw a site together. It sounds like that might be the, the target audience for this. Yeah, so the target audience is pretty broad. The, the challenge that we were looking at when we got started was, hey, here's a great architecture uh, for the future of the web. We really believe that websites are going to be built this way because it offers so many benefits and a, and a better developer experience. I don't need to talk about the benefits of the Jamstack. I'm just going to assume that listeners are familiar and they're listening to this podcast because they want faster and more secure sites and modern tooling and so forth. But just to create a functioning website, I'm not even talking about how do you edit this thing and publish this thing, but just to get started kind of requires you to get into the weeds and learn about a lot of different tools and choose between a lot of different tools and every choice requires further education 
and uh, configuration and, you know, tweaking. And it's, it's really a lot of work. You know, it's not like in the world of WordPress where, you know, I commend them for bringing the ecosystem to a point where you can just go and download a theme and create a WordPress droplet installation and drop the theme in there. And it, and it, it just kind of works, you know, it's still, I think, you know, not as smooth as, as I would hope for it to be, but a lot of less technical people do that every day and successfully create websites. And let's just think of that as step one. So it may be a little unfair because the term site builder can encompass both the creation and kind of the day-to-day life cycle of I'm, I'm just working on this theme or, or on this website. But in the world of the Jamstack, I tend to um, split these into two separate parts. And our site builder is basically, here's a growing collection of themes and you know support for, uh, for a variety of open source themes. And pick your technology, click a button, and within 60 seconds, we're gonna do all this hard work of provisioning and creating and configuring and webhooks. And we're gonna bring you to a point where you have a life site, you have a GitHub repo with all of the code and, and everything wired up, you have a headless CMS or you have your content in Git, whichever option you picked, and you're kind of good to go. And you can use this as a starting point for working on your website if you're a developer. You can use this as a starting point for your journey in trying to better understand all the moving parts in the Jamstack. And what is a Jamstack website made of and how do these things connect and Stackbit brings you to that point within approximately 60 seconds. We like to say that the world record is 32 seconds, but typically takes up to 60. So that's that's kind of how we think about the site builders. Like, well, who uses it, right? So like a ton of people who are curious about the Jamstack, it's the easiest way for them to get started and get to a point where they can go to the GitHub repo and look at the source code. And it's not like just going and looking at a random Hugo theme because your repo is wired. You make a change and hit commit, it's going to trigger a deploy in this case to Netlify. And you know, if you chose to store your content in Contentful, it provisioned the space. You can go into Contentful. You can see what Contentful looks like. You can change content, hit publish. It'll affect your website. And so you know, a lot of the partners that we work with, whether those are static site generators or headless CMSs, will often send their users over you know, because it's the easiest way to, to experience Contentful or sanity, if you will, in, in a more full-fledged Jamstack kind of experience. Yeah, so like, would you say that Stackbit would be the uh, the sort of starting point for folks making the decision for starting a new website? Was that was that where you fit in the sort of life cycle? Yeah, I think that we, uh, you know, we'd like to be the create button for the Jamstack. We'd also like to be the edit button for the Jamstack, but we can talk about that a little later. And because we think the Jamstack is going to be the predominant way that people build websites, you know, like our vision is to be the create button for the web in the longer term, right? This is where people go, yeah. but it's not where, it's, you know, the difference between, and this is both like the difference between Stackbit and say Squarespace, but also the difference between say Jamstack and Squarespace is there's a lot of site builders out there and there's a lot of different ways to get content onto the web. Most of those ways or methods are, you know, proprietary and, and very walled garden. And I love the Jamstack because it, you know, keeps a lot of control in the hands of the developer or the person building the website. And what we try to do through the the Stackbit site builder is maintain that freedom of choice and control. And so when you're done with those 60 seconds of creating a website, 
you're not stuck with some sort of proprietary stack bit SDK weird way of doing things, which may not be relevant in a few years. If you pick Next.js and Sanity.io and, you know, one of our themes, it's like you have a repo, you have the code. We try for it not to, to really be, to, you don't need StackBit to continue working on your site, right? Yeah. We try to give you a fantastic starting point, right? So some people will use it for education. Agencies will use it for a starting point for the, you know, the websites they build for their clients because they can get all the scaffolding and everything is hooked up and it's very convenient. And there's a lot of downstream benefits, which we'll touch but the, the usage is very broad. And I, and I actually am very encouraged by it because I think that's the audience we want to serve. We want to serve a super broad audience. We're not competing for the people who, you know, their preference is to always be in the command line and, and hit create React app, if you will. Or like, you know, new project and everything is blank. Like I'm often that kind of person, but I also love using tools when, you know, they let me run faster without locking me into something. Yeah, and the, I like that sort of approach too as well, like being able to have, like I, I'm a big fan of the onboarding experience, big fan of this generally Jamstack onboarding experience. Like if I could discover things like StackBit or the other tools that you mentioned, and in 60 seconds I can have a functioning site that that works on top of that technology, and then I could sort of backtrack and read the docs later. Like that's the experience I'm looking for. And I'm also very much in the in the vein of, because I can write code and because I can I can throw a site together real quick with with like a nice deploy to Netlify button, I do want to go back and once I have the template and go massage it into what I need it to be. So if the the CSS or the UI or the animations aren't where what I want, I want to be able to use my knowledge and not be sort of stuck. Like I when I see so my, my brother who um, he's in the, the marketing space, uh, UT marketing and uh, Shopify and stuff like that, mm-hmm. and he helps brands and. Uh, he always presents me with a problem on a Wix or a Squarespace. And he's like, hey, how can I make this work this way? And I'm like, well, here's a, a GitHub repo, and here's me prototyping it for you. He goes, well, how can I get this inside of Squarespace or Wix? Mm-hmm. And he's like, I don't know. I have no idea. <laughs> so let's open up the editor. And their editors, it's it leaves a lot to be desired. So if I can just get, mm-hmm. if I can jump into the repo or I can jump on a place where code makes sense to me, I can solve his problems. But a lot of times his problems are obscured away because of some uh, decisions made by a product manager at one of those companies or engineers or whatever the, the reason for that. But I guess what I'm getting at is like having that sort of experience where you can just ship something really quickly but not be bogged down uh, sounds like the experience that I would love to see. Yeah, and I'm, I, I couldn't agree more. You know, What you experience with your brother is basically the lack of a you know, meeting place, if you will, for your two disciplines. Right. You want to think about things from the perspective of code and CSS and templates and logic. And your brother is thinking about these things from a perspective of I have a job to be done. I need to get this thing online. Right. Like, how do I do it? Yeah. You know, I don't care if the Google Analytics snippet is manually injected by me into just one page or if there's a nice configuration way to do it through Squarespace. I just need to track my analytics. Yeah. You know, I really love thinking about these problems from, you know, these different disciplines because it helps us build, it helps us all build, you know, better products and more successful products. And um, and with the Jamstack, I think we're at the point where, you know, I think we're winning over developers. Most of the audience are people who are technical. The less technical people don't really care about the Jamstack, but they sure love faster and more secure websites, right? So it's about how do we empower them and bring them into, into the flow 
and give them the tools that they need to be able to produce Jamstack websites or from their perspective, like modern or superior websites, but in a way that doesn't require them to get into GitHub and edit CSS or call you every time that they need something, right? Yeah. So can we um, transition to what you're calling the edit button uh, for the web? Yeah. uh, And what that looks like for StackBet? Yeah, yeah. And I'd, I'd love to give you just a little bit of background about what got me into you know, being curious about these things, because I have been yearning for this um, sort of tooling for approximately 10 years ago. You know, my my journey, if you will, I'm, I'm a developer, mostly self-taught and uh, very curious and have written code and, and built systems in a bunch of different disciplines and architectures. And uh, around 20, 2010 or 2011, you know, I had the burden of uh, having to maintain my own personal website, you know, out of choice, but also maintaining, you know, the websites of every random family member who uh, was <laughs> was able to get me to do it for them. You know, you've been there. Like yep. we've all, you know, gone through this journey of WordPress and cPanel and shared hosting and pain here and pain there. And I remember being tired of uh, a bunch of these WordPress websites that I was maintaining for family and friends, just constantly getting hacked. You know. The, some of the main benefits of the Jamstack are speed and security. I personally was bothered by um, by security because these things were just and you know not like hacked in any kind of like super malicious and targeted kind of way, but you know they find these vulnerabilities and they run them and they they kind of get their script into five hundred thousand websites and that was happening way too often. And one day I was thinking about like why do I even have a server generating my website every time and why do I have to maintain this thing and like, who, who is it good for? And I bumped into a blog post by Bernard Vogels, uh, the CTO of Amazon, who was talking about how you can now put website content on an S3 bucket and wire it up to a domain and have them host it, right? And I was like, wow, you know, that's how I'd like my website to to run and be hosted because, you know, it's basically zero maintenance. You know, as a developer, I want to optimize for like zero maintenance. And so I took a snapshot of my WordPress site and I put it on S3 and I hooked up the domain and it was magic. It was magic. It's like, it's like one less thing to worry about. You know, I really love worrying about less and less things. So that was fantastic until, you know, a couple of weeks later, I wanted to write a new blog post and, you know, well, what do you do then? And I, I'm not, you know, particularly a genius or anything. So I learned these things the hard way where, I didn't really think a lot about this problem of I want to work on my site later on. I just thought about this. I was reacting to the site getting hacked. And so I started thinking about, well, these static sites, you know, static site, it wasn't even a term that I'm not sure it was a term. And, you know, static site generators generally weren't a a big category or a popular category. I think, you know, perhaps Jekyll existed or was on the way to exist to to kind of get born. But um, it took me on this journey of, like most websites should really be static and hosted on something like S3 or a CDN. And well, you know what, like we should be able to generate them somehow and we should be able to pull content and you know, we should be able to edit them because we really sacrifice the editing experience and, and so forth and so forth. So, you know, fast forward to, um, to stack we started with, you know, the site builder in 60 seconds and you have a website up and running, right? But how do you edit these websites? You know, there's the, the status quo in the Jamstack for how do you work on a website is also extremely technical. You know, a lot of people like to store their content and mark down and config files as part of their GitHub repo. 
you know, I remember the first popular way to edit that content was a tool called ProseMirror or Pros.io, right? Yeah. Maybe ProseMirror was the WYSIWYG uh, kind of open source library, which I'm not 100% sure of this, but I think it was created by a digital agency in the Washington, D.C. area that also created Mapbox, the company, and spun that out. And so at any rate, you know, there was a, there was a time when those were the tools. And, you know, of course, headless CMSs kind of merged these two things together where, you know, here's a great way to create, um, you know, structured content and a schema for content. And, and here's a, you know, basic interface for editing it. But it's almost like on purpose, we don't want to deal with how this content gets presented, right? Like we're separating that problem out. Here's where you edit strings and paragraphs and upload images, right? This is about content and schema. And then wonderful companies like Contentful and Data CMS, Sanity.io, and a bunch of other great headless CMS companies emerged. And that became the status quo of how we edit the content. Unless we're hardcore, you know, markdown people and we just go to GitHub and click edit and, and so forth, right? But if if people like your brother want to be able to work on a website, you know, they're really they're really comparing this to Wix and Squarespace, right? Yeah. They've seen Webflow. They've seen WordPress. You know, they expect to, to have, let's call it a studio experience that has a couple of core capabilities, right? The first one being a live preview of your work in progress. You know, there's your live website and it's kind of out there, but like I want to be able to work on something that isn't published yet. And obviously I want to be able to see it, you know, while I'm working on it. And as a product feature, that hasn't really existed or like adopted big time in the Jamstack just yet. You know, most static site generators will be able to run in dev mode, uh, but that's not really productized and it's mostly for developers to run locally. And so that's one thing, right? So let's say your brother has that, you know, they also want to be able to click edit and like hover over a paragraph or over a caption and, you know, double click it and make a change and, and see what it's like, you know, and they want to be able to click a publish button without having to know about GitHub or Netlify or Gatsby or whatever, you know, because they don't care about that. They care about having a fast and secure site, perhaps, or maybe they're willing to try a new paradigm, but they need these tools. And so what we build at Stackbit is something we call the Stackbit Studio, which offers you all of these capabilities in the form of a user experience and a workflow. You get the live preview, you get the on-page editing. I don't want to call it WYSIWYG editing because it's not really, really WYSIWYG editing just yet, but it's definitely going in that direction. And it's integrated with a publishing and you can schedule a publish and you can get a link to you know share a preview of what you're looking at with a coworker or with a client, right? So, you know, you can think about this as, uh, you know, studio experience or a production environment it doesn't reinvent anything product wise it basically recreates what we've lost by you know unbundling the stack right like when we unbundle the stack we got all these benefits right content is here rendering is here hosting is here but how do i how do i work on i need a developer and with the stackbit studio we try to create this experience and the most important thing about it is that it creates a unified experience on the top, which is UI-based, and it's for people like your brother and for people like me and for people like you to happily uh, and efficiently work on these websites. It's our day-to-day -to -day tool to work on Jamstack websites, but it's powered by 
Gatsby, Netlify, Contentful, Sanity, GitHub, right? It's developers control everything underneath. There's no secret sauce in the sense of like, there's no stack bit SDK, right? If you have a Jamstack website, you can connect it and everything will just work magically. Yeah, that's intriguing too as well. And like, that's, it sounds like exactly what I need to pivot my family members into. So if they want to have my free or very, very cheap uh, support work, uh, technical support work, like that's the way I can sort of jump in and, and sort of manipulate things and like perhaps I don't use a studio but they use the studio pretty regularly exactly and then I can I can sort of side swipe or get into the uh, the back end to be able to the quote unquote back end I guess I would call that but uh to get into work on that so stackbit uses the term studio I'm curious is this not a CMS that's a good question you know we I guess the answer is it depends we don't think about it as a CMS but I think that the term CMS, has kind of multiple interpretations. So if we take a trip down memory lane, right? Historically, and when I say historically, I'm like five to 10 years ago, five to 15 years (laughs) ago. so long ago. It's older than this podcast. (laughs) Old school. When you said CMS, you were referring to like everything, you know? WordPress is a CMS. Drupal is a CMS. Adobe Experience Manager is a CMS or a web content management system. It's this place where you expect to be able to work on your website and change content and see what it looks like and hit publish and maybe do A-B testing and maybe do personalization and, and all of that good stuff, right? So in that context, I guess we try to pull back the experience that uh, CMSs used to have and bring those into kind of the modern age of the Jamstack because I feel that we've lost a lot of those capabilities and product experiences. And I think that that's a lot of what the Jamstack is really going to accelerate with. But what we clearly aren't is a headless CMS because in the modern age, you know, um, companies have emerged to focus on storing content and managing content and dealing with schemas and providing enterprise workflows on top of that content and thinking about companies being content first. And you can use this content in a bunch of different ways. You can use it for websites, but you can also use it to power content in your mobile apps and maybe digital signage and maybe digital books and a lot of other things. So we are definitely not headless CMS and we don't store your content anywhere. Actually, Stackbit tries not to store any state. So like we try to be stateless because we rely on a contentful storing your content for you and managing the environments, or we rely on, you know, your, your GitHub repo to store your content and so forth. We also don't host your website, you know, like you'll pick Netlify or Versal or S3 or, or Azure static sites or whatnot. And, and we'll integrate with that. We try to focus on recreating the tool and the experience on top of this open platform, right? We don't try to replace any of the boxes because we think that the architecture for the Jamstack is really great. And we we think that, I personally think, it's created um, a lot of companies that really excel at doing what they do, you know, whether it's a static site generator or a headless CMS or a deployment platform. There are companies who do that really well. I have absolutely no desire to compete with them on that. I actually want to empower users to be able to enjoy all of the benefits that these companies have created, which I feel are still mostly limited nowadays to developers. 
Yeah. So I, I'm curious when you mentioned the the term, like the the phrase unbundling uh, of the web, mm-hmm. and that that the place that we're in today with the Jamstack, and like I see things like uh, when you look at React frameworks, which is like. If you told me that React frameworks would be a thing uh, when this podcast was started four years ago, I would have been like, ah, no, React is a library. It's small. We'll never get bigger than this. And now we have frameworks on top of React. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious, now that we have like a lot of these tools discovered, we got like Fauna, who has a nice lightweight experience for getting your database together, and you have these uh, Sanity and um, all these other headless EMSs that are happening. Do you envision a space? Because like you... Like Azure is one of those spaces, and AWS is another space where it's a one one solution. You're sort of locked in. Type of deal. You think there's going to be a, a some sort of aggregate of these these technologies where you could where you can aggregate all these technologies together. Where you just make. I don't want to make decisions on databases. I don't want to make decisions on you know CMSs. What I want to do is ship a site, and uh, if this fits my budget, then I want to choose this path. So if I'm the designer path, if I'm the marketer path, if I'm this this sort of prosumer path, like I imagine, and I say this out loud as not even thinking about the fact that Stackbit probably is <laughs> it might be this uh, sort of aggregate uh, of solutions. But yeah, I'll, I'll be quiet and I'll see what, what your response is. No, I think you you hit the nail on the head. You know, it's I'm not a historian and I'm not gonna try and be one, but you know, we're clearly experiencing an unbundling. And I think these things tend to like, you know, unbundle, rebundle, unbundle, rebundle, because like we've unbundled because of, you know, a bunch of different challenges or opportunities. Now we have websites that are faster and more secure, but, you know, we pay the price where, because content is completely separate from, you know, how it's rendered and where it's hosted, so nobody can give you a proper experience for editing websites. And so we can create Jamstack websites, but guess what? We can't really compete with what Squarespace or Adobe Experience Manager offers just yet. Now comes the question of like, oh, who's going to aggregate this or who's going to rebundle this? And, and those terms can often be used interchangeably, even though they mean slightly different things. But we try to aggregate or rebundle these tools, but we don't do this in a way that displaces the tools or replaces them. Basically create a layer on the top or you know another box uh, another category of tools for the Jamstack, which orchestrate and offer a consistent UI on top of all of these tools. And it's because we listen to the people who have a job to be done. And when you look at the kind of mass scale, when people need to create websites, when companies need to work on websites, most of the time they're not architecting components in different ways. They're not working on schemas. And so most of the time they need this old school web content management user experience. At the same time, the developers who make the technical choices about building these websites are our developers. And you know, we're at a point in time where developers are having more and more influence within companies, where developers choose their own tools and the tools that power things that you know sometimes marketing will use and other you know sections in the company will use. And so you have to ask yourself, well, what are developers going to choose as the, you know, the, the website architecture for the next iteration of their, their company's website when they get asked, uh, where marketing tells them that they need to create a new website? You know, I, I think it's going to be Jamstack, but at the same time, there's going to need to be this product experience, which is the meeting ground between the different skill sets, right? It's where you and your brother can cooperate together. Right. And, you know, yeah. talk the same talk and you push a button and he sees a light bulb go on. 
right? And that doesn't really exist just yet with the Jamstack, or, you know, it's unfair to say perhaps it exists, but it's extremely rough around the edges. And of course, you can load up a, a live preview on your computer and somehow pipe it to your brother and set it up on Heroku. And, and if he wants to do an A-B test, you can perhaps go and provision a, a, another environment for like, yeah. but oh my God, you know, that's not fun for you because that's not productive work. That's just tedious repeat work. And it's not fun for your brother because he's just dependent on you. And, you know, there's a limit to how much he's comfortable to ask you to do work for him. And it's the exact same thing with a customer and an agency. It's the exact same thing with a marketer and a developer and a company, right? If you look at this from a perspective of like low code and no code, like we're not going to replace developers, at least in my opinion. It's just that the world is creating more and more tools that empower less technical people to do more and free up developers to focus on real interesting problems and creating value as opposed to editing config files and going in and changing strings for marketers and taking a screenshot. And like, that's just an example, right? But that happens everywhere today. Yeah. And I'd say like the, the going back to the unbundling thing and also this whole trying to empower the non-technical folks to also uh, or the handoff to the non-technical folks. One thing that comes up, and we brought this up a few times, is WordPress and like the the monolithic experience of. Uh, we all know that WordPress. Well, maybe we all don't know this, but WordPress is expensive, and it's a a very very uh, thick market of lots of WordPress developers out there who are in agencies as well. But I I wanted to ask too as well because uh, I saw on Twitter and I read the article of the WordPress. Uh, was it the the CEO had did an open letter about Jamstack? And sort of how it was not going to work, and then I saw your response. Did you want to talk about that that letter and uh, talk about the the response to the Jamstack and WordPress? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think what happened is um, Matt Mullenweg, which is a highly respected persona in the, the world of the web, is the creator of WordPress, or perhaps one of the co-creators uh, of WordPress, and also the founder and CEO of Automatic, which is uh, the kind of the company pushing and popularizing WordPress. So he's responsible both for the open source phenomena that currently powers 30% of the web, as well as uh, having created perhaps the biggest company in, in the space of capturing some of that value back. So, you know, Matt is a, obviously a super smart and successful guy, perhaps even much more than me. Um, but at the same time, he's, um, you know, highly invested in this very particular way that the web works. He can claim a lot of success uh, because, again, around... 30% of the web is currently powered by WordPress. But you know, WordPress has a lot of challenges. And um, a lot of people, including myself, have left WordPress and have helped develop ideas like the Jamstack, like headless CMSs, like static site generators, not because of anything that Matt or WordPress did, just because you know things evolve and the world evolves and technology moves forward. And um, a lot of things have happened in the last 10 or 20 years that helped birth the Jamstack, or I would say, you know, the Jamstack wasn't birthed, it was yanked out of the minds of a lot of smart people who basically continued pushing the envelope and, uh, and evolving the approach of how we build websites. And, um, and I, I don't think um, Matt was so interested in the Jamstack that he sat and wrote a thought piece. I think he was, you know, kind of like interviewed over email by uh, Richard McManus of uh, Read, Write, Web fame. And, um, you know, Matt really wholeheartedly defends WordPress and, and basically thinks that Jamstack is uh, is not ready for prime time and highly dependent on a lot of different offerings and so forth. And 
I think one of the things that he tends to miss or, you know, one of the challenges with the comparison is you don't really want to compare the Jamstack to WordPress because the Jamstack is an architecture. It's a philosophy. It's let's host most of our website content from a CDN. Let's generate it every time we change it and, and not have to rely on servers to, you know, run the same code and produce the same thing on every visit. Let's rely on microservices and APIs. Let's use modern um, developer tools and workflow. Let's be, you know, Git-based. Let's benefit from the Git workflow and so forth and so forth. And, you know, WordPress hasn't really excelled in making core changes in and adopting new methodologies uh, for doing things. And this isn't just, um, you know, oh, hosting static content from CDN is better. It's like you know, using Git is better. Like, I don't think we need to argue that anymore, you know. So, you know, if anything, this, the Jamstack should be compared to the LAMP stack and, and, you know, the merits should be compared there. And I think that it's, the, you know, the Jamstack is definitely the way to go. And of course, the equivalent of WordPress doesn't exist just yet for the Jamstack. It's like we're all working on it really, really hard. And the rate of progress that we're seeing from all of the different participants is, uh, is I, I believe, is, is massive. You know, anywhere from efforts like what Stackbit is doing to, to rebundle the experience and empower less technical people to do things to the work that, um, you know, Gatsby and Netlify and, and Next.js and Versal are doing for, you know, regeneration of, uh, of websites and partial rebuilds and recognizing perhaps a challenge sometimes with you know, statically generating massive websites with hundreds of thousands of pages or millions of pages. But the, the rate of progress happening there is, is massive. And, you know, I don't see those challenges as, uh, you know, culprits of the Jamstack. I see those as points that need to be addressed and that are being addressed. And I see the merits of the Jamstack really winning over LAMP in many different ways, which again, I, I'm assuming are mainly obvious to, to most people. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, I appreciate you sort of running through that and sort of explaining the so the, the state around the article and sort of how it was developed in the conversation. I think it's a conversation that's going to be happening a lot. And I was like, I guess that's what I was sort of like reaching for and looking for People might be wanting a WordPress experience where it's just a, a one step to walk into and have a site, and you have a community where you can source WordPress developers pretty easily as well. And I think we're we're getting there with Jamstack. Like now, we see the Jamstack term being leveraged a lot more regularly, but also like we love seeing the the growth of the the ecosystems where we can actually. Now, no one has to sort of like guess what I'm talking about when I run this podcast or guess what we're talking about when we say words like headless CMS. Mm-hmm. Now we're, we're sort of now reaching the same level of playing field where we can now move into like the next level of whatever we're trying to accomplish. We don't have to rebuild the same stuff that it's already been done. Yeah, I mean, guess what? I, I wouldn't be surprised if Gartner starts covering the Jamstack soon. Yeah. You know, maybe that's the sign that we're, we're done or maybe just getting started. Depends on what perspective you have. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah, and I saw your, your note in the chat too. We didn't even cover the, the context of how we even know each other as well through through Netlify. But did you want to cover through like your your investment in the space and like not only are you invested in the point that you have a, a company, but your, your investment in the actual the space and the future of the Jamstack as well? Yeah, I mean, it's I love the story of it, and it uh, it reflects on how I do my work and think about things, which is mainly very organically. You know, I'm a developer and an entrepreneur. Stackbit is my uh, my fourth company. And, um, you know, I've done anything from create uh, bootstrap, self-funded companies and 
all the way to, you know, selling a company to, uh, to a larger, you know, public U.S. company and serving on the executive team. And so I've seen things from different places. What I really love doing is creating and help create. And I'm very curious. And so as I mentioned, I went through this personal journey of, uh, quote unquote, discovering the world of the need and the opportunity for static sites and headless CMSs and deployment platforms and so forth through my personal journey of my personal website and my friends' websites. And I remember throughout 2010 and 11 and 12 conversations with multiple friends trying to grasp what is the next iteration going to look like and what are the tools going to look like. And, you know, some of the ideas that we were throwing, I remember with one of my friends, Aron Sandler, uh, which is now the CTO of Peach Finance, we, we bounced back and forth the term of like cPanel for domains or like the next version of cPanel that helps you create new things. And, you know, perhaps StackBit, the site builder and the studio are like in, you know, exist today in, in, in light of some of those ideas. But in 2015, I was prototyping a headless CMS experience on top of S3. So you would store your content in S3 and your entire website in S3 because that's where my, my website was. And I created this kind of like headless experience for editing those sites, just editing the HTML, no static site generator or anything. But it was cool because the experience was all running in JavaScript in the browser and it was talking to the S3 API. You didn't, you didn't even need a server for the CMS, if you will. And as I was developing that, I was telling a couple of friends and it was, I wasn't really trying to build a company or anything, but I was engaging with these ideas. And, and you know, the, the word research is really big because, like, I guess you have to be a researcher, but I was, I was playing. And I bumped into Netlify when it was just Matt and Chris, the two founders, and, and perhaps uh, someone who was doing some content writing. And um, bumped into their website and clicked in and clicked on the chat. It was like, really love what you guys are doing. And I, you know, I forgot to mention, but like in the last 10 years, I've also been angel investing, which I feel is is not too uncommon for, you know, a random entrepreneur here in the San Francisco Bay Area. So I'm not, not special because of that, but I was I was doing it, an early investor in If This Then That, and met Matt and Chris early on and really connected, both personally because they're amazing guys, but also just connected technically and vision-wise. It's like we just think about the web and how it's evolving and where it's going in very similar ways. And we reached it from like slightly different angles, but we all think about it and are passionate about it in a similar way. So I was fortunate enough to be able to put together Netlify's seed round of investment and, and join the board of the company where I still serve in, in the capacity as a board member. And, you know, Netlify since then has really grown in ways that are hard to describe. You know, it's a yeah. phenomenal journey and a phenomenal accomplishment by the founders and more importantly, by the, uh, by the fantastic employees and, and talented people who, you know, day in and day out help build this great company. And so I'm, you know, I never worked at Netlify, but I've, I've been on the sidelines throughout the journey. And, and that's where I think you and I first met when, uh, when you joined Netlify to work on developer relations and advocacy. So I think, what when was that? Was that 2016 or 17? Yeah, it would have been 2016, and yeah, I originally joined pretty early on, shortly after they they had the the content uh, person helping out, mm-hmm. who actually was on the first episode of this podcast, Aaron. And um, oh, cool. Yeah, it's been it's been a wild ride, and honestly, like even 
like even being more nostalgic about this too and hearing your story and like I didn't really realize your original introduction but yeah my introduction was was similar as well I saw Matt speak at Heavy Bit and saw that he was working on a thing that solved my problem so I became an early user of Netlify and then a year later became an early employee so I'm just super happy to see this the space expand even beyond Netlify and see that the change of developer in the landscape has now even like been fulfilled but also bore fruit from other companies and founders and engineers and like the open source space has now been shifted a little bit when you start talking about front end space where now we can have bits and pieces that work interdependently but also independently as well and that the, this just choice and decision for developers is now it's a wonderful experience where you can sort of just take part of the buffet and choose like, I'm going to use React here and I'm going to use Netlify here or Vercel here or, or whatnot. So. Right. And I, yeah, and I credit Matt and Chris and everyone else in the ecosystem for not just building great companies, but also helping popularize an approach, which is, you know, open and it's a philosophy. And, you know, a lot of us and more of us are, uh, you know, ascribing to it and, and are excited about it and building companies and open source and experiences around it. Excellent. Well, yeah, I appreciate the conversation, and uh, I wanted to save some time for picks because we're we're coming up time pretty closely. And uh, so these are jam picks, picks that keep you going. Could be music, could be food related. We have quite a few tech picks, obviously, on this podcast, being a tech podcast. But if you don't mind, I'll go first. I've got some picks that I'm ready to go. My first pick is going to be the new mixer I bought because I'm working from home. If you listen to the podcast more than one episode, you probably heard about my streaming on Twitch. So I won't mention that, but I just did. But I bought a new mixer. It's a, a USB mixer that plugs into my Windows streaming PC, and it gives me a bunch of bells and whistles for recording live streams as well as podcasts. Not only does it have a sampler, it's got a voice changer, it's got effects, it's got a nice like full extended EQ. Yeah, I've just sort of blown away because and previously I've always used like things like Audio Hijacked or Loopback uh, to make all the things route and do proper like uh, ex- exposure, for, especially for live streaming. Having a guest on live streams. And run that through OBS. Uh, you're, it's a whole other job, and it's quite tedious, but also breaks all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, picking up this mixer with the Go XLR has been a, uh, it's made my entire experience a breeze. And I think, as far as developer relations goes, like I think now we're sort of figuring out there's no more in-person conferences, at least for the near future. So now most developer relations and advocates have shifted into. We'll bring the conference to our, our office and studios. So highly recommend if you if you're going to be taking that seriously, either that mixer or something similar. Make sure the tools that you're going to be literally leveraging every day, nine to five, are going to keep up with the, the demand of the new age of developer advocacy. I pick one more thing, which is um, uh, I've also started building up a home gym too as well. Last year, actually two years ago, my daughter was born and I lost roughly twenty pounds just from having paternal leave and hanging out and paying attention when I was eating. And I found those 20 pounds during these last six months of quarantine. So my goal has been, since I had to cancel my gym membership because I was a member of a gym that has not been reopened, uh, I started picking up home equipment. And if anybody's seen my space, uh, I have a video on Twitter right now of me showing off my, my desk space. I don't have a, a huge area to work in, uh, but it's also the same area I work out in. So I've been picking up some bands, but the thing I want to talk about is the bass bar which the base bar is essentially it's a, a bar for you to do body weight workouts, calisthenics on. Like I'm not really into lifting weights anymore. Uh, I used to lift weights like years ago, uh, but I wanted to use some low effort things I could do in between meetings or as I'm like starting my day or ending my day. So uh, I like to leverage working out as a way to separate 
working from home to being at home <laughs> and being with the family. So that separation is now a bit introduced through this base bar where I do pull-ups and uh, some weighted pull-ups and all these other calisthenics exercises. Those are my two picks. And Ohad, feel free if you have any picks for us. Yeah, my pick is a little bit conceptual. You know, I have um, in the last two months have uh, obsessed on the side a little bit on creating a little DIY kind of work bench and tool storage. You know, we have a, a very small, you know, one car garage and I've just had my 40th birthday. And so I claimed a section of the wall. (laughs) Thank you. you. I just claimed the section of the wall and have been like, uh, I really love building things and just DIYing things. And so my last thing I got was a DeWalt angle grinder, which I'm probably not too exciting or, or new, you know, it's like there are a lot of angle grinders, but just really, um, have been enjoying going for YouTube and looking at people building their own little tool storage ideas and, and things like that and slowly building out my own. And it really helped because, you know, when you customize things, especially when you have a small space, you can really just utilize that space in a much better way. So like I got, it's funny, I ended up getting a utility cart, you know, like almost like a janitorial utility cart made of like this, uh, you know, those sturdy plastic and created like a, a folding desk on the top of it and it fits right behind something I mounted on the wall. And so like all these things work really nicely for me and I really, really like that. So yeah, maybe that's my pick, taking the time to uh, you know empower yourself to build. And I guess as builders, we very often just enjoy building tools or the things that help us build. Yeah. And we sometimes, we don't even care to do anything with it afterwards. We just wanna, <laughs> we just wanna build a tool. That's the story of all my GitHub repos. <laughs> Tons of tools with nothing to show for it. <laughs> well, hopefully not. Yeah, but that's, I guess that's my pick. Excellent. Well, I appreciate the conversation. Uh, it was super insightful. Like you, You've been around the space for a bit, uh, and you've, you felt the pain of not having things like the Jamstack being around. So hopefully it's insightful for the listener. Definitely check out StackBit, and check out Ohad on Twitter, and uh, listeners, keep spreading the jam. That's all the time we have for today. If you're interested in being a guest on the show or if you'd like to suggest a topic, find us on Twitter at Jamstack Radio. To learn more about Heavybit, visit heavybit.com. And while you're there, check out their library. It's packed with amazing talks on sales, marketing, product, and general management from founders of developer tools companies and other industry leaders. 